0: What's up, and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to hear you out, listen to your questions, pray with them, and then hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you and your walk toward eternity. The reality is this your life, my life, our lives are really messy, and there's not always going to be that easy to go to fill in blank Christian answer to life's common problems. So, the purpose of the show is for me to just accompany you in your walk toward encountering Jesus so that together, we can hear jesus speak truth to our hearts and we can listen to that truth respond to that truth in such a way that we will become saints i want to encourage you to send me your questions dealing with morality or apologetics or relationship advice evangelization catechesis discipleship the list goes on right at askfatherjosh at essentialpress.com you can also uh, send me your critiques and your comments on today's episode on today's show, we're going to talk about how do we admonish the sinner, right? It's a spiritual work of mercy, but how do we do it well? We're also going to talk about marriage on earth and marriage in heaven. And finally, we're going to talk about um, regretting an abortion and where do I go from here, right? After the fact. Uh, but before we get jumping into those topics, I want to share with you a glory story. My glory story this week uh, comes from my experience of just hanging out with a really good friend of mine who I have not seen in a very long time. She is a Catholic hermit. She was a nun for like 20 years or something like that with Mother Angelica back in the day. And then she asked for permission to live the life of a hermit. She got permission to do that. And so she is just this beautiful woman. Her name is Sister Teresa Berlin. She's one person who I'm pretty sure is going to be a canonized saint one day. I mean, I know we're all called to live lives that are canonizable. But she is legit. Like, I'm pretty sure she's going to be a canonized Saint. The woman is so in love with Jesus, and she's so joyful, and she's so simple, and she's so content with her state of life. Uh, she's just a gift. And when I went to go spend time with her at her hermitage, I was convicted. I, my glorious story is that I was convicted just by being in her presence because she was so joyful. She was filled with the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was very much aware of where I'm lacking joy in my life and how my lack of joy can can be unattractive sometimes and how it can be off-putting for people uh, who are looking for Jesus. And because I'm not always joyful because of my own mess, right? Um, I might be a barrier for some people to encounter the Lord. And so just by being in a presence, I was really convicted to beg the Lord to give me the grace to manifest the joy that I do experience in my prayer and in my interior life with Him, and that I should at all times share, even with people who I don't like. I know that might shock people. They're like, wait, Father Josh, you got people you don't like? Yeah, I mean, I I love everybody. I desire that everyone becomes a saint one day, and I'm going to pray for everybody to become a saint. But there are some people every now and then who get on my nerves, and the Lord is calling me to be joyful when I'm with them, too, because the goal is for me to help everybody get to heaven, include them. You know, I need to get to heaven myself. Right. Uh, and so uh, it's not something that I can turn on and off and say, OK, I'm going to be joyful when I'm with these people who are delightful to be around. No, I got to be joyful with even people who are frustrating to be around. And so my glory story is just that by being in the presence of somebody holy, I was convicted. And so I pray that we can all have that grace to where when people are in our presence people can be convicted to take serious the invitation of Jesus in the gospel, which is to to be a joyful witness to a relationship with the Lord. All right, so before we get jumping into today's topics, I have some follow-up from previous shows. The first follow-up comes from Mary. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Oh, wait, before I get to this, I I think it's so funny how some people get so mad about when people play Christmas music during Advent, right? Some people, like, legit have meltdowns over that. And I'm the type of person, like, I can listen to Christmas music during Lent. I don't care. (laughs) Anyways, uh, back to Mary. Mary writes this. Thank you, Father Josh, for answering my question in regards to purgatory. I understand totally what you were saying and having you confirm this gives me comfort. Because both of my parents did unite their pain and their suffering toward Jesus and grew closer to him because of it, especially toward the end of their lives on earth. I remember my folks telling me about how Pope John Paul II talked about how his uh, Parkinson's and his suffering and how it was an honor to suffer for Jesus. Once again, thank you. Well, praise God, Mary. I'm so grateful that your parents uh, made up for what was lacking in the body of Christ and that they united their suffering in Jesus Christ crucified. What a gift they are to all of us. And what a witness for all of us to, to remember that. As disciples, we're called to imitate Jesus, which includes Jesus Christ crucified. Not just Jesus Christ walking on water and not just Jesus Christ doing the miracles, but we're called to imitate Jesus Christ in whatever season he invites us to participate in. So I'm grateful and I praise God that your parents were able to do that. That is a huge gift. Uh, Next feedback comes from Benji. Benji says this, thanks for addressing my question about circumcision. I think the argument about how we don't know what Mary and Joseph did to Jesus does satisfy the question of being made in God's image. I see where using harsh language like mutilation is in essence disrespectful to the Jewish community. Neutral conclusions are always a little dissatisfying when searching for answers, but I do understand this and can take the information forward in my life. Thank you for your time on this question. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, Benji, sometimes we want— there would be uh, a an object like like an answer for everything that we can do, right? But God wants us to be free. Like, God gives us freedom. He doesn't want every saint to look alike. And so he gives us the freedom to to certainly follow the Ten Commandments. And then outside of that, like, he didn't give us 10,000 commandments. And so he gives us the freedom to, to be the unique individuals made in his image that we are. And so, yeah, just uh, try to be a saint. Make sure you're being obedient to the Ten Commandments. And then go have fun. And finally, Reesey writes this. Thank you for... Thank you so much for answering my question about sacramentals this week. It helped clear up some of the confusion I had regarding its purpose. I also wanted to let you know you did pronounce my name correctly, and I even used Reese's Pieces as my nickname in high school. (laughs) Ha ha. So check that out. Reese's Pieces. That's legit. All right. Now let's jump into the topics for today's show. The first one comes in from... Elizabeth. Elizabeth writes this with regards to admonishing the sinner. She says, first of all, love the podcast. I had the great pleasure of attending mass with you a couple years ago at St. Aloysius in Baton Rouge. Yo, shout out to St. Aloysius. That's my, my last church before I became pastor at Holy Rosary. Some beautiful people over there. Anyways, back to Elizabeth. She says this, your homily directly following the shooting of Alton Sterling was so memorable. And it was actually the first step in my then boyfriend, now husband's conversion to the Catholic faith. What? Come on. Praise Jesus. Yo. Shout out to the Holy Spirit. The Lord is God. <laughs> That's so cool. For that, I'm I'm sorry my voice is all messed up right now. I'm a little under the weather. So normally I have a little bit more of a deeper voice, right? <laughs> so for that, I am so grateful. That's a glory story for another day. My question is, yo, but Elizabeth, hit me up with that glory story. I would love to hear it though, for real. Uh, Anyways, back to your question. You said, my question is, I know that admonishing the sinner is a spiritual work of mercy, but I struggle to speak up to my friends and family. I want to be respectful to them and not make them feel like I'm being condescending. How do you admonish without being perceived as judgmental? I fear that approaching this in the wrong way could lead to them isolating themselves from me. I also fear that maybe I'm being judgmental and should just let some things go since I'm guilty of sin as well. Your counsel is greatly appreciated. God bless you and this ministry. Yeah, that's actually a great question. So I always like to just emphasize when it comes to admonishing the center, which is something that we're called to do. Um, I hope somebody would admonish me. I actually like it when people admonish me because I know I'm broken and sometimes I can't see my own faults and my own mistakes. And other people help me recognize areas of growth, which is the gift of community is we're not only there to help affirm each other, and encourage each other, but we're also there to challenge each other and critique each other in our walk toward becoming the best saints that we could be. And so I always encourage people when they're going to approach a loved one, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a peer about something that they see as is, is sinful and not good for them, to always emphasize the relationship. You know, relationships matter. And so uh, one particular way that, one potential way that you can do this is to, you know, let the person know, look, I want you to know I love you like so much. You mean so much to me. Your friendship has been such a gift to me. And I had to spend a lot of time in prayer before I even came to approach you with this topic. But I just feel like as a friend, um, I would want you to say something to me if I was in a similar situation. And so I noticed that, say, if it's um, a relationship there and that's unhealthy, I noticed you're in this relationship. Um, Can you tell me more about it? Um, And then ask them questions about the relationship. That way you're showing interest in them and like, okay, tell me, so it sounds like it's a life giving relationship for it, it sounds like it's whatever. But but here's a deal, like you're not married, or here's a deal, that person is married, or here's a deal, like I see you doing an ex whatever it might be, and and then and then let them know why you think it's not okay. But then sandwich that with again ending, but even if even if you, you disagree with me, Um, I want to be in relationship with you. Like, you matter to me so much, and I want to stay in relationship with you no matter what. Like a parent. Parents have kids who do things that are ridiculous at times, and the parents would then admonish their kids for doing that, which is wrong, but they don't then say, and by the way, I'm not going to talk to you ever again, right? No, they, they say, look, I love you so much. I disagree with your choice, but I'm still your parent, right? Treat them the way Jesus did with people, right? Jesus, when he admonished Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, whenever Peter tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus first admonished him, and then he remained in relationship with him. He didn't go anywhere, and over time, Peter got on board, right? It took time for Peter to catch on, but eventually he did because Jesus didn't leave him. Jesus dwelled with him right there where he was. He let him know for sure where where he disagreed with him, but he still dwelled with him. That's what Paul did with Peter as well. In Galatians, whenever Peter was being hypocritical, Paul checked him. Paul called Peter out. Paul said, Peter, you're being a hypocrite. You can't tell these people they have to be circumcised before they become Christians. Paul admonished him, but then he remained in relationship with him. He in no way said, I don't want to be your brother anymore. I don't want to be in community with you anymore. I need you, Peter, and I know you need me. We need each other. So we might not like each other right now, but I know I need you, so I'm not going to go anywhere, and I hope you won't go anywhere either one time when I was at LSU back in the day, so before Aloisius, I was at Christ the King on LSU's campus, and um, I was, I had, that night I was doing like a benefactor's mass because I was trying to raise money for the students because it's a college campus, right? And so we don't have a lot of money, so I had to go out and try to help get money for the campus for my students. And so I had this big benefactors meeting that night, so I was going to do a mass for the benefactors. And so the first mass that day, I, I had a visiting friend of mine who, He's one of my best friends, uh, Brad Doyle. At the time, he was a deacon, and I was a priest, and he's a priest now. But, but he said, hey, yo, can I preach? And I said, yeah, cool, preach. And so he preached for the daily mass, and then I did the mass again that night. But at the daily mass, he gave this really great insight, and he said, so what happens whenever you try to, like, confront people uh, with the gospel about their lifestyle, and their lifestyle isn't in line with the gospel, and then they reject your message, Th- then what do you do? If they say, I don't care, I disagree with you, then what? He said, you know what? We need to treat them like Jesus did the tax collectors, right? And I was like, dang, bruh, that's pretty harsh. And then he said, Jesus had meals with the tax collectors. (laughs) And over time, the tax collectors, like Matthew, had a conversion. And so I thought it was pretty profound. And so that night when I was giving my homily to these benefactors, I gave my own homily. However, I used that one line from his homily because I thought it was pretty profound. And I did not mention that it was his insight. My bad. So I give that insight. And then afterwards, we're all like schmoozing with everybody that's there and whatnot. And one of my students who was at my benefactor's mass, uh, he was talking to Deacon Brad, who was hanging out in in the little hangout area. And he said, man, you should have heard Father Josh's homily. (laughs) He said, man, Father Josh said this big old mic drop moment. He said, you know what? If people don't want to accept the gospel, when you give it to them, then you need to treat them like Jesus treats the tax collectors and and have have dinner with them. And, And Brad looked at this dude and was like, man, that's my homily. Josh stole my homily. And so then I'm over here talking to these benefactors, trying to invite them to help us out on the campus And Deacon Brad yells in front of everybody, Josh, you thief, you stole my homily. (laughs) Man, that dude embarrassed me so much. Anyways, to this day, I I don't believe I stole his homily. I believe I just used a piece of it. But whenever we emphasize relationship with people, even when they disagree with us, I've seen so much fruit, right? Because discipleship is a process. Growth and holiness is incremental. It happens over time. And so... I've walked with so many people who like, there's one person I walked with years ago who was pro-choice and who would drive people to the abortion clinic. And I remained in relationship with this person, even though we fundamentally, fundamentally disagreed on life and on respect for life. But because I remained in relationship with this person, this person eventually came around because I stayed in communion with the person and the person eventually even discerned, um, just, uh, paths of holiness that are pretty profound right and so yeah it's pretty cool what the lord can do whenever we remain in relationship after we let the people know we disagree with what they've done and we think that what they're doing is not good for them or their relationship with god or with the rest of the community so emphasize my friend relationships matter Next question, speaking of relationships, what about marriage? Marriage is also a really, really important relationship that some people, that many people are called to enter into in their walk toward eternity. So this question comes in from Erica. Erica, 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 Jane. Hey, Erica, 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 Erica. Oh. So Erica writes this. She says, I have a question on marriage in heaven. As Catholics, we believe marriage is a vocation and a sacrament and that we are working uh, this side of heaven together to gain sainthood for each other. Very true. Uh, we see how God created Adam and Eve for each other and how he sent his only son to earth to Mary and Joseph to make the holy family. And even Jesus himself is the bridegroom to us, his church, the bride. Yes. Marriage is so deeply rooted with our creator and such a central part of our faith, yet the church believes there is no marriage in heaven. For those of us who are married and committed to the hard and joyful work of marriage here on earth, It is so intertwined in our path to heaven, it confuses me why the church believes it ceases to exist there. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Thank you, Father Josh, Erica. Yeah, so the church does teach that um, our marriage to our spouses ceases to exist in heaven um, because that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, It's biblical. It all comes from the Bible. Um, So I'm going to give you some scriptures to first pray with. St. Paul says this, right? A married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is discharged from the law concerning the husband, right? So the marital bond ceases with the death of the husband or the wife, and the marriage has ended. Um, That's why you can be married to someone else once your spouse dies. And so if you were to be married to your spouse in heaven, then what if you've had like five spouses because each one of your spouses died and you got remarried again, right? Then who would you be married to in heaven? Um, Jesus also said this. uh, He says, when they rise from the dead. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they're like angels in heaven, right? Angels are not married. So marriage is meant to be a path to heaven. It's meant to point us to heaven, Um, but it's a means to get there. But it's not an end in itself because, like you said, our bridegroom is Jesus. And so ultimately, God wants to espouse himself to us. And so in heaven, we are all totally espoused to God, to Jesus. And so we don't have to be espoused to someone else who would just point us to him if we're already living in that intimate union with him in the kingdom. Uh, so essentially the church teaches this because the Bible teaches this and the Catholic church teaches everything the Bible teaches, right? Because uh, the Bible came from the church. So yeah, hopefully that was helpful for you. Let me know it. What do y'all think? Do you have any additional advice for Erica? Write me at Ask Father Josh at ascensionpress.com and let me know. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into our final question. And If you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to YouTube.com slash Ascension Presents. That's YouTube.com slash Ascension Presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com. If you're feeling fancy, record a voice note and send that to me and we can play it on the show. Also, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes to help other people find out about the show. All right, again, real quick, my bath, my voice, I know it's super scratchy. I'm getting kind of sick right now. It's cool, right? Uh, I'm not, I- not going to uh, complain, but I just want you to know that the reason why my voice sounds this way is because I got a little sickness going on, but it's, it's going to get better in time. Keep your head up. Ooh, Father Josh, things are going to get easier. <laughs> All right, now back to the show. All right, a final question comes in from a mourning mother. And this is someone who actually sent her question in a while back. And I've I purposely waited this long to respond to it because I've been praying for her and interceding for her. And so I think I'm now in a place that, where um, I can hopefully respond in such a way that might be helpful for her. So she writes a question about regretting an abortion. She says this, 18 years ago, I had an abortion. I was married at the time with a two year old and a five month old baby. And shortly before becoming pregnant, I experienced a major traumatic event. I was trying to overcome PTSD, had been diagnosed with postpartum depression, and was having some significant difficulties in my marriage. I remember feeling completely overwhelmed, abandoned, and hopeless. When I found out I was pregnant again, I truly felt as though I had no other choice but to end my pregnancy. At the time of my abortion, I was a practicing Catholic. My husband and I brought our young family to church every week. I have many regrets around my decision, but the first is that I never reached out to anyone for help. I think back to that overwhelming young mother and my heart breaks. No one knew the pain and struggle I was facing. Looking back now, I understand now why it happened, but I can also see how it could have been prevented. I wish I had been more open about my inner struggles. I wish I would reached out for help. I wish I had taken time to fully consider my situation. I wish I had talked to our parish priest before hastily making my decision. I wish I had never gone through with my abortion. Now, 18 years later, I still struggle with self-forgiveness. My heart breaks for what I have done to my unborn child, and it probably always will. About a year after the abortion and a year away from receiving communion, I received God's mercy and forgiveness in the sacrament of reconciliation. My question has two parts. First, With such a grave sin, how does one find peace and self-forgiveness? I know there's no sin that God won't forgive, but how could I be forgiven for this? And second, um, can you explain the temporal punishment I'm going to receive? I I can't help but feel that I would never fully attain for that sin. atone for that sin. I fear that when I die, I'll be in purgatory for a very long period of time. I pray that God might have mercy on me and find compassion toward me. Knowing all my struggles at the time of my abortion— I pray rosaries, I do extra penances, and I've I just started fasting for the lives unborn. Is it possible for me to even make it to heaven, having committed such a grave sin? Is temporal punishment, atonement, and purgatory inevit- inevitable for me because of what I've done? I can feel very discouraged about my past, and I'd like to know if I can find peace and if there's hope for my situation, a mourning mother. God bless you. Wow, you are um, you are such a gift. You are such a gift from the Father. The Father loves you so much. God the Father delights in you so, so much. And I think that the Lord just wants you to receive his love. He wants for you to be able to perceive how much he delights in you. His mercy is abundant. And there's nothing that you can do that can stop God from loving you. God has been loving you your entire life. God knew what mistakes you were going to make before you ever made them. And God still said, I want to die for her. I want her. She matters to me. She's important to me. And I'm going to be able to use her in powerful ways to help other people who are going through similar difficult situations. Jesus Christ passionately loves you and he forgives you. You went to confession, you've been forgiven. God does not remember our sins as far as east is from the west. You have been forgiven. Right? The Lord has forgiven you. That's the gift of the church. You heard the priests speak what God has done. He said, I absolve you. I absolve of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. My sister, you are forgiven. Are you going to still experience purgatory? Probably, and so am I. <laughs> and we're going to be in purgatory together. Purgatory is not a bad thing. Purgatory is a gift. Purgatory is that place where we're being purified even more by Jesus Christ as he's drawing us into the kingdom of heaven. What a gift. What a gift. It's that season of purification. What a gift that the Lord has given us in purgatory. And so I just want to encourage you, my sister, to believe what the Lord says is true, that he can forgive anything, right? And he has forgiven you. He's forgiven you. And so I really want to encourage you to focus on his forgiveness of you. Uh, A scripture that came to my heart as I prayed for you was Luke 15, the prodigal son story, because the prodigal son, when he came back to the father, he came back and he was just focused on himself and everything that he had done. And the father just wanted to throw a celebration. The father was so happy his child's back home. And I guarantee you, my sister, when you went to confession, the father was throwing a party in heaven and every single saint in heaven was rejoicing rejoicing that you are back in the sacramental life of the church. Every single saint is happy. The Father delights in you. He wants for you to take your eyes off of what you've done and focus them on Him. And the more you focus your eyes on Jesus, who is the face of the Father, the more you're going to see mercy, divine mercy. And the more you can experience that mercy from your time focusing on Jesus in prayer, the more you're going to be able to share that mercy not only with other people, but you're going to be able to share that mercy with yourself. It's really essential that you focus on the face of Jesus because His face is divine mercy, right? Certainly, we know abortion is a grave grave sin, but nothing is beyond the mercy of God, even abortion. And I get that this is difficult to understand, but that's why God's name is mercy. His name is mercy. And so I really think that my, my role in your continual healing would be just to encourage you, to reach out to uh, Project Rachel, right? There's a website called www.hopeafterabortion.com. Um, Rachel's Vineyard is www.rachelsvineyard.org. Entering in Canon is com, And these, these can be sources that can help you continue to receive the healing of Jesus Christ that he has in store for you, right? There's a community of people who want to walk with you and who want to accompany you and who want to help you to continue to experience this life giving mercy. And so I just want to encourage you to reach out to those resources at some point and allow people to enter into your wounds with you so that together they can accompany you to Jesus who is divine mercy. Uh, This is a message that he actually had for St. Faustina in her diary. um, Page 459. If you have the book, uh, I think it's paragraph one, two, seven, three, uh, it says this: Jesus says, "I am love and mercy itself. There is no misery that could be a match for my mercy. Neither will misery exhaust it, because as it is being granted, it increases. The soul that trusts in my mercy is most fortunate, because I myself take care of it." Jesus just—he <laughs> wants to snuggle with you in, in, in his divine mercy, my sister. Just let him love you. Let him go there, and allow him to. Re- Reveal how much she delights in you, um, because when when we really perceive his merciful love, his merciful gaze toward us, then we we are more capable of responding to ourselves that way also, and so I just want to encourage you, yeah, just to focus on the face of Jesus, focus on the face of Jesus, specifically the image of divine mercy, and allow the Lord's grace to do the rest, okay. I love you, my sister, and I'm praying for you. I've been praying for you for a while, and I really want to encourage you to reach out to those resources. I think that they'll be a gift for you in your walk toward eternity. All right. So do you have any additional advice for our sister who is, who is mourning? Um, hit me up at Josh at SissurePress.com and let me know. All right. So that brings us to the end of today's show. Regardless of what your circumstances are, here are some things I think everyone could take away from today's questions. Uh, Starting from the last, going to the first, the last thing is God's infinite mercy is available to everybody. We should never let our past mistakes dictate our future destiny to become saints. Um, So take our eyes off of our sins and focus on the face of Jesus so that Jesus can speak this truth to us. When it comes to uh, the second question, what was the second question about? Oh, my bad. When it comes to marriage in heaven, yeah, remember the Bible Right. The church receives from Jesus. The church is the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom, and so we don't make up our own teachings. So everything the church teaches, she's received from Jesus. And so, anytime we we're like kind of struggling with a specific church teaching, then just go to Jesus and focus on what He said, and, and He'll make it clear to us. And then finally, with regard to admonishing the sinner, relationships matter. So stay in relationship with the people, and over time, God will do His thing, whether we get to see it or not. Okay. We're going to do a quick prayer because my voice really hurts and hurts to talk right now. So we're just going to pray a glory be in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever. Amen. Go in peace. I cannot wait to to sit with you again next week. God bless.